We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Dan, thank you so much for stopping by. My pleasure. It's like you're you're in Vegas. We've got the great studio here, so it's like, well, we need to make this thing happen. This place is pretty cool, right in the it's, middle of a casino. It's not bad, right? It's pretty cool. And everyone's. This is the cool thing. A lot of people walking by are going to be stopping because you can hear our conversation just on the other side of the glass. Oh no shit! Yeah, so they're going to be like, "Well, who's? who's the, it's Dan Lambert. It is Dan Lambert." I doubt people are saying that. If they're an AEW fan, they'll know that. Then it'll be all, "Who's that asshole?" <laughs> If people got to a point where they legitimately didn't like you. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> My goal every time I went out was to make them hate me as much as I hate them. You don't, come on. You don't hate them. Everyone. You love them. Everyone of them. You love them. Hate. There, there's nothing more gratifying in pro wrestling than hearing booze. <clears throat> I don't know how the faces do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I can do it. That's got to be way harder. Was there a specific promo where you were like, oh, when I say this. Um, I wouldn't say it was that when I say this, I'm going to get this reaction. It was more so there was one promo in Philly where when we were doing the inner circle feud and Jericho's just so over. Yeah. I mean, every time he gets to say a word, everybody shuts up and they want to hear what he has to say. But then every time you go to say something, they just drown you out. Can't hear. You can't hear the guy standing next to you. They have no idea what you're saying. It was so loud. And at the end of what I said, he goes, I couldn't hear a damn thing you just said. It was it was pretty cool. He was like fifteen thousand people here singing my song. Man, it was, oh, they them coming out to that song. It's like the coolest entrance I've ever seen in my life. And, it, and like when we cut the song off, it was like the first time they had cut the song off. In the yeah, movie. yeah. He's so smart, Jericho. Just the guy is. He's the best. He's so good, and he's thirty plus years into this, and just keeps reinventing himself. That's and the thing. reinventing himself. He says to me, he's like, okay, you're going to cut my song off at this point and people are going to lose their minds and then they're going to start singing it without the song. Yeah. And I'm, it's, man, whatever the guy said is exactly what happened. It's so amazing. He says that he's, he, his biggest inspiration is David Bowie because every album, Bowie reinvented himself and was as popular as ever. And it's so true. Yeah, just go through the years and go through the different changes to his character and it's just, it's crazy. How did this whole partnership with AEW and ATT start? Tony Khan is an MMA fan. And he just happened to be down in Miami meeting with uh, Jorge Masvidal and his agent. They were talking about doing something together when, when, when George was just screaming off the charts. He was so hot. 
after the flying knee versus yeah. Askren. And um, his, his agent gives me a call. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, just sat down for dinner with some friends that came into town. He's like, well, tell them to piss off. I'm down in Miami sitting with Tony Khan. You guys are like twin brothers from like another life. You got to come meet this guy. I was like, yeah. really? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, see you. And I told my friend, see you. Nice, nice seeing you. Happy you came in town. I'm out of here. And I went down there and we just hit it off and became friends. He's a total wrestling nerd. Yeah. I'm a total wrestling nerd. And um, obviously he's a big football guy and football is like the greatest thing on this earth to me. So <clears throat> we just hit it off and became friends and stayed in contact. And when he came down to do a Miami show, it was actually the first show they were doing after the pandemic was over in front of a live crowd. And he reached out to me. He was like, hey, do you want to come to the show? Maybe bring some of the guys and who knows, maybe grab a mic and cut a promo on people or something just for fun. I was like, yeah, why not? So he did it and it was a blast. And I thought that was it. And then like two weeks later, he texted me back and said, hey, what are you doing on Wednesday? Can you come up to Jacksonville and do another show? I was like, yeah, why not? And then it just kind of kept going. I think a lot of fans either didn't realize or maybe forgot that you were doing stuff in wrestling before AEW. Impact Wrestling, there was some stuff with MLW. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I actually met Jeff Jarrett at a UFC show in Nashville. Just happened to be sitting next to him and uh, hit it off with him. And then he, and Bobby Lashley was their champion at the time. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby had fought and trained with us for a long time. Super good guy. And uh, Jeff reached out to me. He's like, hey, would you want to bring some of the fighters over and, you know, cut some promos and do something? I was like, yeah. You know, so that, that was a lot of fun, too. I love that pro wrestling is the great unifier. Like, it's like that. I always describe this to people. It's that scene in Step Brothers where it's like, did we just become best friends? Yep. Like, if someone's like, I'm into pro wrestling, you're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, what, seriously, what does pro wrestling have that's not good? I mean, it's got good versus evil. It's got good-looking dudes with tans and little bathing suits and hot women and you know, all the drama and backstabbing and sex and romance and comedy. I mean, it's got everything roped into one. People look at you and say, how do you do that? That's not real. It's like, yeah, those German terrorists and Die Hard weren't real either, but who, who didn't love that, that movie? I had a video go viral recently where someone's like, you like wrestling. Don't you know that's fake? And then he was trying to tell me that like, no, but I watch action movies because you don't know what's going to happen at the end. I'm like, what do you, I don't know what's going to happen at the end. You know those action sequences are fake too. Yeah, yeah, but it's different because they're acting real. Sometimes the bad guys win in wrestling. They never win in the, in the action movies. Very right? rarely, yeah. We did a show where I brought some of the fighters over and we had people from like, the, the, the thought process was get into the ring when we were still doing the inner circle thing and bring, you know, bring a fighter from Bellator, bring a couple of fighters from UFC, bring someone from like bare knuckle boxing, someone from PFL. So, yeah. you know, I grabbed some of our bigger names and, you know, we came to the ring to cut a promo. And when we were getting ready to go out, one of the fighters I brought, uh, Kayla Harrison, is a couple-time PFL champ. She's undefeated, two-time judo gold medalist, royal pain in the ass. And, and she's talking all this shit backstage. I can't believe you got me to come to this thing. Wrestling sucks. Wrestling's fake. This is stupid. I can't believe I'm doing this. But just shut up and come out with me. And by the time we get to the ring, I turn around and she's like flexing and flicking off the fans that are booing her. And, <laughs> Come on, get in here. And she's just having the time of her life. When we went back to she's like, I've never heard anything like that. That is so cool. Well, the great thing about you being in a wrestling ring is you're such a heat magnet. Like, you don't even have to say anything. People just hate that you're there. I got really lucky that the people they matched us up with, you know, got to do something with Jericho, got to do a little short something with Cody, yeah. got to do something with Lance Archer against Hangman Page. So some of these guys are so over. Yeah. You know, it's like, Getting heat off of Jericho is 
you know, he does all the work. I mean, you, you, it's uh, can't get an easier assignment than that. And then once you're in something with him, everybody knows you from that. So then the heat from that's just kind of like a residual effect. So yeah, I just got lucky. I got booked into some good stuff. I, I don't. Know. I mean, it's part luck. It's also like you know exactly what you're doing when you have a mic in your hand. I've been practicing that since I was like six years old in front of a mirror watching championship wrestling from Florida. Really? Oh yeah, I'm a long time wrestling fan. So who were the initial people that really got you into wrestling? The first memory I have of wrestling is just flipping through the channels. It was channel six when you had like four channels back when I was a little kid in Florida. And I flipped to a channel and I see who turns out to be Ox Baker with the assassin tied up in the ropes. He's beating the shit out of him. Assassin's bleeding through his yellow mask. And his manager is there trying to pull Ox Baker off Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And I'm like, what the heck is this stuff? I don't know, but it's great. And immediately started asking my grandfather to take me to matches and never stopped. Um, at one point, I was able to get on the ring crew to take the ring down after the matches so I could get in for free and I could get in the back and get all the autographs That's and stuff. Brilliant. It was great. Was there ever a point where you wanted to be a wrestler? <sighs> Still want to be a wrestler. Well, what's what happened? <laughs> Who doesn't want to be a wrestler? I mean, I know I wanted to be a wrestler. I trained for a few months. <laughs> Did you? If you don't want to be yeah. a wrestler, you're a dork. <laughs> What happened? Do something easy. Go be a fighter. Why? What happened? Go be a fighter. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's going to be taken the wrong way by so many people. I care. What's uh, a easier way to make a living than that? That's that's not an easy way to make a living. Those yeah. guys take a beating. I don't think people appreciate the the toll that that stuff takes on these guys. I don't think that people realize how much it's day in and day out too. Like when, well, especially back like in the seventies, eighties, yeah. even into the nineties, some of these guys were working. 340 nights a year. You know, they're on the road every single back in the territory days. They are literally from one town to the next, to the next, to the next. They would, depending on the territory you were in, some of these guys would drive like 4,000 miles a week. Yeah. You know, just from one town to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's just, they're always on the road. It's just taking a, just a brutal toll on you night in and night out. It's a little better now for these guys, but it's still, I mean, if you sit behind that curtain and you watch these guys come back from their matches, these guys are beat up. Yeah. Don't you feel like when you're a lifelong wrestling fan, it informs other parts of your life? Well, it, you know, it's funny because me and a couple of the marks that I grew up with being wrestling fans, we bring down a different wrestler like once every month or so. And <clears throat> we'll bring them down, we'll put them up in a hotel. We take them to the steakhouse, this Brazilian steakhouse, and we sit and have a dinner for a couple hours and they tell us all the stories. That's amazing. And these guys, once they're involved in wrestling, it's like everything's a work to them. Their whole life, they just get so most of them just get so involved in the business that they, everything is a, is a work. Everything's pro wrestling. And it's like, everything's just getting over. Everything's trying to stay kayfabe on certain yeah. things. And some of these guys take it so seriously. I remember, you know, my one friend will go find the guys and, and, and get them to commit to doing it. And then they'll like send me the information. I'll book their, their flight. And he sends me over the information. We're having Nikita Koloff down one time. And he sends me his information. It's Nikita Koloff. Here's the airport he wants to come out of. And I text my friend back. I'm like, yeah, I think American Airlines is probably going to want his real name, you know, not Nikita Koloff. I think it was like Sean Simpson or Scott Simpson or something. He's like, no, that's his real name. He was like so into his angle. He, he changed, changed his, his name. name. When he came down, he told us he didn't speak English for years. He just did not break character. Wow. Unbelievable how married some of these guys get to. This story is so funny because Conrad Thompson told me a similar story when before he was doing his podcast. He was like, I wonder if we could like pay a wrestler their appearance fee to come like watch the Royal Rumble with us. 
And as you know, it's pretty easy to just be like, hey, what's your rate? Okay, great. Let's do it. And that's, that's, that's how most of these old guys make their livings now. They go and they, you know, they'll do like comic cons and some conventions once in a blue moon that they have them, but they do, they do appearances and they hustle. And I've probably brought, I think it's like 85 guys down over the years. I mean, mentioned someone from the seventies and eighties. I've had them down. So I could have like some legendary wrestler, like hang out at my bachelor party. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's an easy gig for us. Cause we just want to hear the stories. Seriously. Yeah. But I mean, easy gig for them too. You go back to the, Terry Funks and the Ric Flairs and I mean, throw a name out. I've had 85 guys down. Who did you think, dinner. who was like the, you know, the person you didn't think you'd be able to get. And then you were like, oh, wow. Um, we're making this happen? Man, just about everybody we've tried to get, we've been able to get. You know, we missed out on a couple. And, you know, the life expectancy of these old wrestlers based on the lives that they lived back then, yeah. you know, unfortunately isn't as long as some others. So we've missed out on some, but we, I always wanted to get Roddy Piper, never. Never, just never able to get it lined up. You know, that was like the one I really wanted. I really wanted only Anderson because he was just such an old, miserable dude. And, you know, you hear the stories from everybody. And we always ask the wrestlers that are there, like, you know, lots of questions, standard questions. But one of them is always like, you know, at the end of your career, who'd you look back on and say, I was the biggest jerk I ever met in the business. And so many people say Ole. And I just think it was because he just had his ways and he was so old school and he ruled his company with an iron fist when he was booking it. And, he rubbed some people the wrong way. And I just thought, man, he'd be great. Cause like the old miserable yeah. guys coming there, they're not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything. You know, they're going to tell you exactly like it is. So I thought he would have been a great, a great dinner. But then, you know, by the time we were able to coordinate, he was just getting early onset of dimension. He couldn't travel, but um, those, those are the two that I missed out on. Who was the one that like, you didn't want the night to end. Like it was just, it was so, so good. It's amazing how many guys fit that bill. Mm. Um, there's some that you would have expected that were like that. Like Flair, probably. Um, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, Ric Flair's probably the greatest of all time. But, you know, we always, friends and I like rank our dinners. From mm. like, oh, the best being one and the worst being like 80 or 85. And Ric Flair was like in the bottom five. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, who knows? They, they're doing something every different every day. You get them on good days and get them on bad days. It's like a lot of the guys, they just want to come and they don't mind sharing their stories and yeah. telling you the great stories and they get into it and enjoy it. And most of them are like that. And he was just kind of like there for the payday and just didn't, Man. I don't know, didn't really care to share stuff with us. All right. Just, give just us kind of, kind of kayfabe. Just give us your top five then. Best five ever. Um, Ted DiBiase was crazy good and it's evident that everybody does indeed have a price oh, man he was he was so good we drove him back to the hotel after dinner and he's like i don't fly out to tomorrow morning man i got plenty more stories i'll sit in here in the car and tell them to you all night he was he was amazing he was so good we brought him back a couple years later with stan hansen to do it because oh, they, wow. they had a great tag team in japan and they got to tell great stories together he was he was great ken patera surprised the hell out of me because I remember him obviously when he was wrestling, but I don't remember him being so charismatic and stuff. You know, he was more just that big, tough heel, and he was crazy good with his stories. Terry Taylor was great because he still works in WWE developmental, so he can tell the stories comparing the old territories and how everything was when he was coming up in the business with how the business is now and training the guys like inside of a you know a more sterile environment, you know, than the territories. These guys back when they were on the road in the day. These guys would go from territory to territory, and every territory was different with their style and their fans and their approach to wrestling. So, by the, and, and then every night when the show was over, they'd take the new guys 
and they'd put you in the car with a veteran and you would drive that veteran to the next town so he could teach you, you know, the business. Yeah. So he'd sit there and just pound beers the whole way from, you know, Fort Lauderdale up to Tampa if you were in Florida Championship Wrestling or much longer rides if you were like in Mid-South or in one of the Texas promotions. So you would learn different territories, different styles. You'd, you'd be around the veterans on the long drives every night and they'd be telling you all the stories on the road and teaching you. And now these wrestlers, you know, they're nipped out of college if they're a college wrestler or if they're an actor that wants to get into it. And they're, they're putting a performance center in Orlando yep. and they're taught, you know, and they got their ring and they practice promos and they're doing everything. And it's just, it's just such a different, you know, a different learning curve and, and experience. So it's, it was really cool hearing his stories and, and, and him comparing the, the different, uh, different times. That's a, you know? that's a great first three. I wouldn't have guessed any of those. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you really wouldn't. Give me some more. Who's two more? Terry Funk was so oh, good. Okay, he I can was, imagine that one. I mean, and and every beer that got into his mouth was 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 a greater story coming out of it. He was <laughs> he was just a riot. And it's funny because some of the guys you think would be, oh, that guy's going to be so good. I can't wait. He was so good on the mic. He had so much personality. And then he gets there, and it's like, oh shit, you know. Just in this scenario, in in this environment or setting, they just. Either they, you know, maybe they don't want to tell their stories. Maybe they want to keep everything kayfabe even all these years later. Um, and then you get guys that you're thinking, oh, well, you know, he wasn't that Ronnie Garvin wasn't, you know, the most entertaining wrestler on the microphone. He was just the tough guy with the Garvin stomp and always going to keep fighting. He gets in, in front of you in dinner and he was just amazing. And then you get a guy like, a, like Bill Dundee, who I thought was going to be crazy good because he, he booked in a bunch of territories and he was so good on the mic. and. He was in Memphis for all those years. That was such a crazy promotion. He just didn't really want to tell stories about much. Mm. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just kind of there to have dinner and, and get through it. So it's like some of them really surprise you. Yeah. Uh, Robert Fuller was probably one of my top five dinners. His stories, he was like, I could be a stand-up comedian. He told some stories that just, <clears throat> I mean, just, oh my God, that is so funny. Um, so he, he was amazing. I don't know if you want to say or not. And if you don't, that's okay. Who was the most expensive? Flair. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's so, so funny. He's the most expensive and then he's in your bottom five. He, yeah. It's, it's just, you just, you just never know. I had a great interview with him about a month or two ago, <clears throat> right before Ric Flair's last match. And I felt so grateful because I feel like what you say is true. I've heard that you know, good day or bad day, you know, it could be a great experience or it could just be okay. Man. I mean, I was so excited for the dinner. And, and even though it wasn't a good dinner, I'm still glad I did it. I mean, yeah, it's Ric Flair. I sure. got to have dinner with Ric Flair and hear his stories, even if he was rushing through them and probably lying through half of them because he didn't want to tell us anything. And whatever, it's still Ric Flair, you know? Can people do the same with you? Could people pay your booking rate? <laughs> What's my booking rate? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> you're, you're doing like... You get what you pay for. It's, it's about zero. <laughs> well, you're doing, uh, like, you're doing this show in, in South Florida at CCW. You've got oh, that's so much fun. You're doing that, a match with Bill Alfonso. I am. That's great. I mean, who didn't love Bill? Who didn't love him in ECW? Right down the middle. Right down the middle. Yeah. That's that actually the um, Nellio, the guy that runs CCW, when Paige Van Zant was going to wrestle in AEW, we had to find her a place to train, and he happens to have a school right in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. So we reached out to him, and he's like, "Man, we'll do it for free, no problem whatsoever." But would you mind coming to a couple of our shows that we do in Miami every so often? You know, get on the mic, cut a promo, or whatever. I was like, I I'd love to do that. That's fun. Sure. So it's kind of a trade-off. Oh. So, you know, whenever he wants me to do a show, he just gives me a call and it's 
45 minutes from my house. I'm happy to buzz down. Did you ever think when you started getting involved with AEW that you'd actually have a match there? Um, I figured, you know, the, the heel cowardly manager always gets tricked into somehow getting involved in a match to get his ass kicked. So, yeah, I figured I would. You know, I didn't think it'd be Chris Jericho beating me up with a kendo stick in front of 20,000 people on a pay-per-view. I mean, that, how cool is that? Oh, you put him you through know? a table. <laughs> you, it looked like you were having so much fun there. I can't tell you how much fun I was having. It was like the coolest thing ever. Are you still working with AEW? Um, not now. Um, about maybe two months ago, we finished up our feud with the men of the year and Scorpio Sky against Wardlow and Sky dropped the belt to Wardlow. Sky was going to take a couple months off because he had a, he had a knee injury that needed to heal. And uh, Paige was getting repackaged to doing what he's doing now uh, with the firm and the work with MJF. So I just thought that was a good time that, you know, seemed like it was winding down. I felt like I was getting stale. Um, even though the reactions were still good, it was still fun. But uh, I just grabbed Tony after that show and said, "Yeah, I think I think it ran its course. You know, I don't want to I don't want to go backwards or you know overstay my welcome. So I think that's going to do it for me." And he was like, "Oh man, sure, whatever you want. You know, if maybe you get come up with a good idea and you come back in the future or something. Yeah, sure, whatever. Call me. You could pop back up at any so, point, really. I mean, hey, Tony called me tomorrow and said, "Hey, I got a good idea. Do you want to do it?" And it was a good idea. I'd say, "Sure, why not?" Yeah. Do you feel like after being on AEW television? that you get recognized a lot more now? Ah, uh, you know, it depends on where you are, you know, but you know, wrestling is so different than, than like being involved in MMA. Nobody cares about teams in MMA. Keep people care about individual fighters. Yeah. Well, so, you're a lot more behind the scenes. With yeah. ATT. But that's, well, that's what the guys that run the team are in, yeah. in, in MMA. So it's, you know, the fighters get recognized and the coaches, the guys that run the gym, they, you know, they don't, you know, sure. nobody cares about the team. When you get in there, they may, they may mention where the guy trains just as filler space, you know, during a boring part of the fight. But, uh, but people don't care. It's an individual sport. Whereas wrestling, it's more about the individuals and stuff. So I think you get a little more recognition. But you became that. a personality in AEW. It was, it was so much. I still, I, I say the same thing every time. It's just, it was so fun. I can't tell you how fun that was. I, I'm probably the coolest thing I've ever done. People... I, People just loved to boo you. Yeah, people like to boo. But you were also calling a lot of people out on, I feel like, I don't know, their insecurities or like the, the way that you cut promos were, I don't know, it almost felt a little like inspired by Jim Cornette, like the things oh, he would call out. Cornette's the greatest manager of all time. He just is. Greater than Paul Heyman? Yeah, I think so. Wow. And I, and I love Paul Heyman. Yeah. I just, but you know what? I grew up more with Cornette. I was, I was, I was kind of, a lot of it, you know, who you remember is the greatest basketball player or football player. It's kind of like when you were younger getting into it, who you were most exposed to. So, yeah. you know, Bobby Heenan was, it was towards the end of his run. You know, I, I've been watching wrestling since like the late 70s. And, you know, Heenan was still around and still great, but it was a little bit towards the end of his run. And he was more in the AWA at my earlier year. So I didn't have as much exposure to him before he went to WWE. Uh, we didn't get AWM. AWA television until it was like on ESPN for a short little period. Um, so, but, but Cornette was like right in my wheelhouse, you know, <clears throat> and, and man, he was, he was just so good. Um, I know people, a lot of people said, you know, a lot of things you said in your promos or what Cornette said in his podcast, but I don't listen to podcasts, you know? So I'm like, oh, cool. I mean, if Cornette says it, it must be right. You know? So I always took that as a compliment. Um, cause you know, I just, I thought the guy was, was so great back in the day. I was a huge Jim Cornette fan, but some, a lot of the wrestlers that came down that we bring down for dinner would always say that, 
best way to get a gimmick over is if the gimmicks reflects your, the way you really think mm. and your real feelings about things. So if it's your real personality, go with it. And if it clicks, it's going to click really well. If you're forcing something, people can tell you're forcing it. And it's not really you. I mean, look at MMA. Look at Conor McGregor. When he goes on a stick, you can you just think, man, that's Conor McGregor. That's probably the way he is when he's out in a bar. Probably like he is when he is in a restaurant. That's just like really him. Yeah. George Masvidal. Yeah. That's the way that guy is. I mean, he's just, he's the OG of OGs. And, you know, when he says something, on the, you, you believe it because it's, it's really him. Then you get other guys like, you know, when Cejudo tries to come up with his little gimmick, it's, you think, is that really the way he is? Or he's just trying to get under your nerves. And people think that with Colby Covington. Yeah, is that really Colby? And, no. No. He's just playing a heel. I mean, he might be a dick about some things, but he's playing the heel. He's yeah. trying to, he's trying to get over. Um, you know, if you go to, you went to dinner with Colby and they come up and the waitress is there and says, you know, what can I get you to drink? Uh, just the water, please. Thank you. You know, he's quiet, you know, it's, it's not him. So yeah. I think sometimes when he does his shtick people, some people don't like it because they don't see it as, as genuine. He still got over, it still worked. Um, but when I went to AEW, I'm like, man, I'm going to say stuff that I believe. You know, I'm going to amp it up, you know, yeah. to a hundred to try to get maximum reaction to it. But if you believe, you know, you, my gimmick was basically old, grumpy, old man, miserable, hates the world, yelling at the clouds, hates young people, hates certain things about wrestling today, thinks it was better when he was young and check, 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 you know? Yeah. Oh, you think it's better when you were younger? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're turning heel on us right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Before our very Come eyes. On, go back and watch the territory days. Although it's funny. That's the way you remember it. Yeah. I remember when MJF was going to do the dog collar match with Punk. Mm -hmm. it, you know, they were hearkening back to Valentine and Piper's, you know, Starcade dog collar match, which, you know, in my memory back in, I think it was 83, that was like the greatest match of all time. It was a great feud and I loved both guys and the match was just brutal and bloody. I'm like, oh my God, this match is so cool. I'm going to go back and watch that match before the pay-per-view. And I went back and watched the match and I was like, huh, you know, <laughs> that, that wasn't as good as I remember it. So, yeah. you know, may, maybe your memories are a little inflated and, you know, you go back and you see the house you grew up in, you know, 40 years ago when you're a little kid and, you know, it's, man, that thing's small, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't remember it being that small. So, you know, I'm sure there's some bias in there. That's so interesting because I grew up in the Attitude Era. Okay. Love the Attitude Era. I did too. If you go back and watch some of it now, you go, huh, naked Midian. Hmm. Probably could have lived without that. You know, like, I think that people go look back on it, you know, with a different perception, right? And I think they go, oh man, everything in the Attitude Era was amazing. And there was a lot of really great things in the Attitude Era. But then you look at some things and you go, okay, this episode of Raw was like 75% good stuff. And then there was like beaver cleavage. Right. So I completely can agree with what you're saying. Although I feel like in MMA, that has gotten better over the years. You know, it's, I mean, this, it's still such a young sport. You know, it's still evolving so much, especially from the training side and the, the running the team side of things. Um, there's just so many things that are different about the sport today versus five years ago, 10 years ago, especially 20 years ago. Um, first and foremost, the level of athletes that are getting involved yeah. in it now. I mean, these guys are studs. I mean, if you're a 145 pound guy and a great athlete, you want to make money in sports. You're not, you're not going to play football. You're not going to play basketball. You know, where are you going to make your money? Yeah. So a lot of these great athletes are coming to MMA. 
especially since they grew up watching like the GSPs and, you know, to a certain extent, some of the early Conor McGregor stuff. Wow, I want to do that. That's cool. Yep. So the, the level of athlete is like changing everything. And, you know, what works nowadays and what works before are completely different. Now, you still get people now that it's a mainstream major sport with relatively low barriers to entry to, you know, try to fight. You get a lot of people in the sport now that, you know, whether, you know, they're clout chasing or they just think it would be cool to be a fighter. Whereas, you know, you go back in the 90s, everybody that wanted to fight, they loved fighting. Yeah. And the fights were, they were cool. I mean, you go back and watch some old Pride stuff, some early UFC stuff, and it was like, it was pretty badass shit. There were only like four cards a year in the UFC, and you knew every single fighter on every single card, and you were so excited for every fight on the card. Whereas, I mean, now being in the business, there's 650 guys on the UFC roster. I mean, I'll have my friends or people call me and say, hey, who do you think is going to win this fight? I'm going to bet this fight. So-and-so. I was like, who the hell's that? You know, I don't even know half the fighters on the show. There's so many weight classes now, too. I mean, all the weight classes, they're deep. They're, you know, they're constantly adding new talent through, whether it's the Dana White show or the Ultimate Fighter show or when they go to foreign, you know, new new territories. I'm throwing the old wrestling references. When they're going to new markets. You know, they're, you know, oh, try, try to sign some Mexican fighters, try to sign some Chinese fighters, try to sign more Brazilian fighters. And it's like, man, it's like, I don't know half the guys on this card. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not watered down because the, the, the level of fighters and athletes today is just unbelievable. And yeah. it's just so different. Um, <clears throat> it's cool that it's so mainstream. It's cool. You can see it on ESPN and everybody knows, you know, what MMA is now and everybody knows the UFC and that's, that's pretty cool. The guys can make money. They're recognizable. They get opportunities outside of fighting when they're done fighting. I mean, they have created so many opportunities just for I mean, people opening gyms, you know, and, 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 and people who want to go train in martial arts because they grew up watching the UFC. So it's, it's all good. It's a, it's a great thing, but it's, it's, it's definitely different. And I think people forget, like you talk about it being a relatively young sport. If you were to compare this to like football, this is still like the leather helmet era. Now, 25, 30 years in. I mean, I, th- I think back 15 years ago to what we were doing running our gym. I was like, oh my God, I'm surprised we didn't get somebody killed. We didn't have a freaking clue what we were doing. Oh my God, we really did that. Oh, remember we used to do, oh God, that's embarrassing. You know, it's just like, it was just like a boys club and there, were, there was no book to, look, to read to see how to run this or do that. And yeah. nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah. I, I'll talk to some of the old school gym owners and guys that have been around a long time training fighters. And we just laugh about stuff that we did back in the day because nobody knew any better. I mean, it's like a, this is a real sport, you know, oh, yeah. and we run our team. Like it's a, it's a, it's a real sport with a real team, you know, it's a real gym and you got to be professional and, you know, you got to have team meetings, you got to have structure, you got to have organization. And, you know, it gets a little crazy because, you know, these, these fighters all have, all have egos, but I'm sure it's the same way in, in an NFL locker room. I'm sure it's the same way. Except that's a team sport, you know, and I know that ATT is a team and any gym is a team, but you're an individual when you're out there in the octagon. MMA from a fan's perspective is clearly an individual sport. You know, from the other side of the curtain, it's an individual sport three times a year. The other 362 days, it's a team sport. Mm -hmm. You know, you need your team, you need your coaches, you need your training partners, you need your preparation. There's a lot that goes into the guys that advance far. You know, there's still guys that, you know, are training in their garage and either are super athletes or whatever, and still may make it, you know, and win some fights, but you're not going to get that far, you know, unless you have a good organization around yeah. you and good structure and good training partners, you know, maybe John Jones could still come out and 
you know, still kill everybody without having that, even though he eventually did get that when he went to Jackson's. Anyway, he had that, but I'm just saying somebody that elite level of, yeah. of athlete that took to it so well. Maybe he could get it without it, but no, that's not the norm. think he's going to fight again? Yeah, I do. I mean, Heavyweight? what do you think he's going to do? Go to medical school and go do heart surgery? <laughs> right, he has lots of money. Um, you never have enough money, do you? I don't know. Somebody said you can never be too too tan, too skinny, or too rich. So everybody always wants money. You think it's a heavyweight fight? Oh yeah. There's been talk of him fighting <clears throat> Stipe. Who doesn't want to see that? Who doesn't yeah. want to see him in, in you know in Ganu? I mean, that's a that's a great fight. It's it's weird. You know, fighting is not an easy sport to step away from and then come back. And and you know, whenever somebody's coming back, you know, when Luke Rockhold came back after I don't know how long he was gone, but it was at least a couple of years. Oh, how do you think he's going to look? I'm like, Look like shit. I mean, nobody looks good after stepping away yeah. for years. GSP did. It, you know, if go back and watch that fight. GSP finished strong and landed a good shot and got the finish. GSP was getting beat up, you know, leading up to that. Bisbing, you know, was was peppering GSP mm. in that fight. And and if those two fought a few years before that, when GSP was active, I think it would have been one way traffic with GSP. Sure, it's just so so great. Yeah. Um, it's it's not easy coming back to that sport. Go, go, where do you see a guy step away from the NFL or step away from any high level sport? Step away from a period of years and come back. It just you just don't see it. Yeah, that's interesting because people people won't talk about like when Michael Jordan retired and came back or didn't Brett Favre come back? Like, like I know it's like but when, you switch teams at the that's end. It, but, yeah, but like <clears throat> people will have that like they remember the great stuff. They don't remember the end, whereas like Brady yeah. still looks really well, good right now. You know, and there's certain ways to to mask that and hide that, especially in a team sport. There's no way to hide that in a cage, one, yeah. one on one. It's like you go to the NFL and you see like the average lifespan of a running back is like four and a half years or something like that. Or five NFL, years the top. not for long. Yes. Yeah. But at that position, I mean, when that running back has that ball, if he loses one quarter of one step, he goes from being like a Pro Bowl level guy to just being on the street. He's unemployable. Nobody even wants him as a backup in a committee. Um, whereas, like maybe like an offensive tackle who's a stud loses a half a step. He, you know, maybe they move him from the left over to the right, or maybe they move him inside to guard, and he can still. He's not as exposed. You know, the fighters—they're that running back. I yeah, mean, they, you lose. That's why you see a guy who like looks like a dominant fighter for a period of time, and then all of a sudden he loses, and then he never wins again. That's like all of a sudden he's he's lost six fights in a row and. And nobody wants him. It's like there's there's a quick fall off in MMA. What do you think has been the biggest shift that you've seen in MMA over the last say twenty years? Um, probably the you know the ranking of what <clears throat> what disciplines matter the most. You know, you know, it used to be back. You go back twenty years, it was always the best ground fighter. Yeah, you know, jujitsu dominated the the UFC in the early days, and you look at stuff like karate and you laughed at it back then. I'm like, what, is, what the hell is that? That's for some kids at their little McDojo, you know, to buy their belts and do what that never works in a real fight. It's all about ground fighting. And now flash forward, fast forward to the current day, who wins fights from their back anymore? Not named Charles Oliveira, <clears throat> maybe Brian Ortega. Outside of those two guys, you don't win fights from your back anymore. You know, everybody knows enough of the ground game to defend it. And, and when people say, oh, in your gym, hey, who wins? When, when those guys grapple, who wins? The person on top. Mm. You know? So it's, it's, it's like, it's, and now you got karate actually working in fights and you see guys that are implementing certain things of just, just 
certain basic parts of karate, coming in quick, getting out, head off line, throwing from, you know, really weird positions and trajectories. And you're like, holy shit, that stuff actually mm. works. It's like, I think karate may work more in MMA right now than jujitsu does. Obviously, you need wow. to learn it. You need to know it so you can defend it. But what real jujitsu, and I, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I've been doing, done jujitsu since 1995. I love Brazilian jujitsu. It's why I got into MMA, why we started a team. I wish it still was the dominant force in MMA. And it would be on a street, you know, against people that don't know how to fight. But people that know how to fight, where's jiu-jitsu rank on your hierarchy? You know, it just doesn't really work that well anymore. And the yeah. positions that do work are kind of basic catch wrestling type positions. Wow. It's just, it's just the evolution of the sport. I've never heard that before. But when you think about it, it makes so much sense. Wow. How many black belts do you have? At our gym? <laughs> oh, oh, me? Yeah, you. Just, 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 just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I sucked at everything else. I'm sure that's not actually true. The BJJ was my thing. I, I loved it. I, we, American Top Team, we actually started as just a traveling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu team in the mid-90s. We used to travel the country. We'd go to tournaments all over. And uh, that's what we did. And then a couple of the younger guys were like, hey, I want to fight. And they started fighting. And then all of a sudden, the sport just kind of exploded and we kind of grew along with it and then it was like okay guys let's throw these geese away and you know focus on the mma how many days a week do you roll now none zero zero point zero i get out of bed and just say how am i not going to hurt today <laughs> so when an athlete walks into your gym what are you looking for <clears throat> um well we've progressed to the point where people just don't walk into our gym you know we we it used to be back go back 15 years. And it was like, man, where are we going to get like our next generation of fighters? We're always, we, we got to get some young guys in here so we can develop them. Um, get kids out of our amateur program and just try to bring people up. Now the sports evolved so much that we probably get 30 legit fighters and legit organizations a month reaching out to us saying, Hey, can we come to your gym and, you know, do a camp train here, move to Florida. And, and we, you know, you've only got limited resources in your gym. We have a big gym. I mean, it's 40,000 square feet. It's gigantic. Of, I've been there. But it's limited. I mean, you only got so much mat space, so much time for coaches, you know, that they can divvy out. You know, you want to make sure that people are the right fit. We probably, if 30 people say this month they want to come train, we probably say yes to two of them. Wow. And, you know, we just want to make sure that they're the right fit. And they might not be the right fit because, oh, this guy's going to be a world champion. This guy's a stud. This guy's undefeated. It might be, wow, this guy's a heavyweight who's got a good ground game. He'd be a really good guy on our mats. You know, he's got potential, but he's certainly going to be a good training partner also. Or, you know, this guy's a, you know, this guy's a 125er and a really good wrestler. You know, we've got some good 125ers in our gym, but we don't have any great wrestlers. This guy would be a great fit as a training partner, you know, as a guy. If there are people that we know or people on the team know and have recommended they're a good guy, they'll be a good fit. And when we think they will be, we say yes. And we typically just say, why don't you come for a week or two and try it out and see if we're, it's a good fit for us if it's a good fit for you. Um, some people are better off not being in a, a big gym with tons of training partners and, and being in that, you know, in that pressure cooker every day. Some people are better off just being off in a little small setting, doing their own thing. I don't think they'll ever get as far as they would have yeah. if they would have fit in the other, the other setting. Um, but we just look for someone who's going to be a good fit in our gym. You know, you know, if you ask me what the number one thing to look at in a fighter to try to project to success, athleticism. Sure. It used to be, give me the best ground guy. Give me the best jujitsu guy. Yeah. Then it was, give me the best wrestler. Then it was, uh, well, give me the best striker who can stuff takedowns, you know? And, and now it's just, just give me the best athlete. 
you know, just give us the best athlete. We'll do the rest. We'll take it from there. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, the size matters. Well, athleticism matters when you got weight classes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You've got all these, so many amazing athletes there and so many champions that train there. What would you say as the owner of ATT has been your proudest moment from one of your athletes? Um, I would say the coolest thing I've ever seen is, is Masvidal's flying knee <laughs> um, is, is without a doubt the coolest moment I've ever seen in a, in a fight. But as far as the coolest thing I've ever seen, it's just George's story. I mean, his resurrection that he called it and to go from where he was. I mean, are we, should we be calling him George, by the way? I call him Georgie. He hates it, which is probably is, why I call him is, that. What does he call himself? Well, right. he's Jorge Masvidal. He's a superstar, you know? <laughs> you know, that's what, he, that's what he calls himself. I mean, 17 years ago, it was, it was Georgie. And, you know, 17 years later, it's still Georgie to me. Um, but, I mean, he had so many highs and so many lows of his career. And I, I never thought he, you know, reached his potential just because Guy's a nut job. I mean, what you see is what you get. You see him, you know, you see your stories, him jumping over a table in a restaurant, punching someone in the face because they piss. That's him. You know, that's him. And the stories that guy has, I mean, I could probably get arrested just telling the stories of what this guy's done over the last X years. Um, but to see him go from where he was and where you thought he could get and then coming up short here or there, whether it was a split decision loss here or a dumb decision he made in life here, and then thinking he was, you know, on the, tail side of his career may hey, hopefully he can get a few more fights and make some money. And then to see him just catch fire like that. I mean, he, he went and did a reality show somewhere in Central America and was gone for a few months. And he comes back and he's like, Hey, can, can we go to dinner? And I'm like, Oh, if you just need money, why don't you just tell me how much money you need? I'd, I'd rather do that than, you know, try to get me to dinner to, to get to the last minute and say, Hey, can I borrow so-and-so? And he's yeah. like, no, man, I want to talk to you. Okay, let's go have dinner. And we sit down at dinner and he's like, I just want you to know it's, everything's different now. I'm like, yeah, okay. What's that mean? So, you know, I'm going to start baptizing motherfuckers. And I said, 
okay, cool. Can we order? He's like, no, man, I'm serious. What what does that even mean? I'm going to start sending people to the other realm. And I'm like, dude, you got weird. I don't know where you went, what you took when you were down there, but you got really weird. He's like, let me explain to you. And he goes on to tell me the story of how he's there. They didn't have electricity. They had no food. He had to like go in the woods and he's sleeping under the stars. And he has this epiphany of his life and his opportunities and what he's done. He's like, I am just going to come in and start killing people. Mm -hmm. I am telling you, I'm going to kill people. He was like in great shape. He was lighter than I've ever seen him in my life. And he's like, I'm just telling you, I'm going to kill people. And I thought he was full of shit. I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. You don't need money? No, I don't need any money. I'm going to kill people. Okay. And then, man, he came out and he had the till fight and the Askren fight. He just just went on that run. The BMF belt. The Nate fight for the BMF belt with The Rock putting it on him and Donald Trump in the front row. And it's like, this guy, he is like a next level star. I mean, some people are like, you know, pro wrestling, there's certain people. We mentioned like Chris Jericho. He can lose and put over the next 10 people he has feuds with. He's still Chris Jericho. Sure. And he's still going to get that heat. People are still going to want to see him just because he's what he's done over the years. And people just have him so high up yep. on, on the mountain. He's a goat. Masvidal is like that. You know, people just have such crazy respect for Masvidal. So such love for him. You know, he can lose a fight here. He can lose a fight there. He's still Jorge Masvidal and people want to see the BMF because he's so real and his story is so cool. And he's, and this guy is making money. I mean, He'll call me somewhere and I'll say, man, it sounds like a weird connection. Where are you at? Oh, I'm in Saudi Arabia, you know? They brought me over here to do this and that. And, huh? I mean, he's just, that guy is, to see his story and where he was and where I thought it was going to end up, which I thought was such a waste because he had so much talent. And to see that last minute veer to the left yeah. and where he ended up, that ascension he made is just far and away the coolest thing I've ever seen in him. Do you think we'll see him and Colby fight again once everything's done with the legal troubles? No, I think that I think that ran its course. You know, it wasn't a very good fight. But I mean, Masvidal still has court dates as we speak right now. Like that, it's, that's not done. Punch the guy in the face. Allegedly, allegedly, Big fucking allegedly. Deal. I'm sure Colby's going to say he has brain damage from it and try to get all this money from a lawsuit. You fought a week earlier and got punched in the face 300 times, and we're fine. And then you got punched in the tooth a week later and have brain damage. Well, one time. a mouth guard in. I mean, whatever. It, it, it is what it is. You know how you know how civil litigation is. You know how, you know, court dates are in criminal. You know, they charge you with a million things. And at the end of the day. Hope that one sticks. They kind of give you a slap on the wrist and you go do some community service hours and you're done. I don't think anything's coming about it. Yeah. Is there bad blood with you and Colby? No, I've got no bad blood with Colby. Um, Colby developed a shtick that he needed to develop to make himself way more relevant because the fact of the matter was and is to this day, Colby's going to win 99% of his fights. The guy is a really good fighter with a really good skill set that is very difficult to beat. Um, Prior to his personality change, he was kind of vanilla and he was kind of boring, but he's beating a lot of guys that were way more charismatic that the UFC thought could draw way more money. Mm. So what do you do with a guy like that? It's kind of likened to what John Fitch was at one time. Mm. People don't really want to pay to see it, but he's going to beat people that they do want to pay to see. So I say the same thing about Stipe, who's I lived in Cleveland for I five just, years. I don't know how a firefighter, a good-looking guy who has exciting fights and good finishes and is a world champion did not get over. Mm. But you know what? 
I, he's say, like the people's say champ. I love Steve. I want to see him fight all the Me time. Me too. The guy's great. He's a great dude. I mean, you never hear a bad word about him from anybody. He comes to fights. Fights usually have finishes involved. He's great. But was he the most popular pay-per-view draw of all time when he was heavyweight champion? People keep, I don't know. People, people keep overlooking him in the heavyweight division. Like, he hasn't fought since he lost the title. Crazy, right? And then people keep talking about all these other fights in the heavyweight division. I'm like, well, hold on, everybody. When does Stipe get a rematch? Or when does Stipe get another fight? Especially when he beat the guy who became the champion. He won That's one, lost one. Nobody is talking about a, a third fight between them. And yeah, that blows my mind. I mean, nobody's really talking about the heavyweight division right yeah, now. Yeah, that's which true. Is, which is, which is kind of weird right now because there are a couple guys there. I mean, again, we talked about athletes. 145-pound, 155-pound guys that are going to come to MMA when they're great athletes to try to make money. If you're a stud athlete and 260 pounds, you're playing something else that makes you a hell of a lot more money yeah, than MMA without getting punched in the football. face. Yeah. So, you know, the heavyweight division is always going to lag behind the others as far as skill set. But, you know, we're at a time in MMA where you do have some guys at the top that are good fighters. I mean, and Gano's a good fighter. Gon's a good fighter. is a great fighter. John Jones is John Jones. He fights at heavyweight. Stipe, you know, maybe the best of all time if you do the record, you know. Well, he certainly is. At heavyweight. So there's there's some really good guys at heavyweight and people love seeing the big guys hit each other in the face, but not not a ton of heat, you know, behind, yeah. behind that. Yeah. I know you have an amazing professional wrestling belt collection. Was it like 100 belts? Right about 100 belts, yeah. Which one's your favorite? I've been collecting it for probably like 25 years. Um, I would say my, f my favorite belt's not going to be like the belt that most people would say that's the coolest belt you have. My favorite would be the old Georgia Heavyweight Championship belt because that was the belt that was on TBS during the 605 to 805 time slot when they were just on top of the world. And it was the same belt for like 20 plus years. So everybody held the exact same belt. A lot of these belts, they change out every few years or five years or four years or it gets beat up, it gets broken, it gets stolen, it gets lost, it gets thrown off a bridge in the middle of a feud. This belt was the same belt forever and everybody held that belt. If you mention a wrestler that wrestled in the 1980s, he held the Georgia Heavyweight Championship belt in the 70s. So that's probably my favorite belt. Do you have the actual belt? Oh, the only belts I collected, the actual ring used oh, wow. belts. I don't, I don't collect the, uh, the replicas. So all hundred of them are ring used and they've all got Stories behind them. I've got everything from the first belt Ric Flair ever held, the Mid-Atlantic uh, Tag Team title in 72. I've got the first belt that Hulk Hogan ever held, the old Southeastern Championship belt. I've got belts from world-class championship wrestling, Florida championship, you name a territory. I've got belts. Wow. Um, and the stories behind them are great. You know, there's stories where this promoter screwed a guy on a payday on his last day and told him, I'm not paying you. So he went into the locker room of the champion who was taking a shower and he grabbed the belt and hauled ass. <laughs> You know, there's, you know, there was a belt that was, you know, an old WWF champion was a big gambler and he had to pawn the belt to pay off a gambling debt. And it sat in the back of a pawn shop for like 20 years. This is a belt that Bruno Sammartino held, you know? So there's, you know, crazy stories behind these belts. At one time, I no longer have it. I had the original title when they, when Vince McMahon Sr. broke away from the NWA to start his own promotion. WWWF, which is started as Capital Sports, the title that he started to make Bruno San Martino his first champion. I, I had that belt for a while. And the guy that had it died, gave it to his best friend. His best friend died. The wife found it in the attic. You know, and what does she do with it? You know, she sells it. You know, and there's there's Man. actually some people that 
they call themselves belt hunters. Their hobby is like going out and finding these old ring used belts from way back. And I got belts that go back into the 50s and the 40s. Um, <clears throat> and they go find them. And when they find them, they buy them and then they sell them. So I'm on all their speed dial lists. You're like the Dosakis guy. I feel like you are the most interesting man in the world. If, if you're a wrestling fan, I got some interesting shit. But, some MMA, MMA stuff, I got some interesting stuff outside of that. It's really not a lot I like. Uh, I don't know. You've got to, like, the people that you've just been hanging out with through all of this is, is pretty amazing. Not just wrestling, not just MMA people. Because UFC brings in a lot of stars. You've man, that's, rubbed it, elbows with, with a lot of them. It's just crazy how popular and mainstream the UFC has become. I mean, go back. I mean, in 2000, I had a contract to buy 51% of that company for 500 grand. Stop. I mean, no. And I was probably overpaying. What was it going to be? At the time. It was um, the original group that owned it. They had lost their pay-per-view. You know, it was when John McCain got up on his soapbox and said, this is human cockfighting, even though he's the biggest boxing fan in the world. That's okay. You know, it's okay to get punched in the face, you know, this many times, but, you know, not, not get thrown in a, in a submission hold. He'd never even been to a show. So, you know, they got, he got his buddy at Time Warner to take it off paper. You could buy porn. You, you know, you can order pornography on pay-per-view at the time, but you can't order a UFC fight. That's literal cockfighting. <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> so they were struggling. They were getting, they were almost out of business. They had got, they knew they had to get regulated. Um, to stay in business so they get back on pay-per-view. So they knew they needed to get the commissions to sign off on them. N Nevada obviously is, you know, the premier athletic commission in the country. And they figured if they could get, if they could get the athletic commission in Nevada to approve them and sanction them, they could get the others to follow suit, get back on pay-per-view. Um, but they couldn't get them to get to a show to try to push the process along. They finally got Larry Hazard in New Jersey to agree to sanction a show on a one-off. And he got the Nevada, a couple guys from Nevada commission to come watch the show. And if the show was going to work and go off without a hitch, they thought they had a chance of getting approved in Nevada, which is eventually what happened. Um, but they ran out of money and they couldn't do the show. So I got introduced to Bob Meyerowitz and we struck a deal where I was going to buy 51% of the company from him, for 500 grand, had to put 200 up immediately as a down payment so they could fund that show. Um, we were going to close and I was going to put a million bucks in escrow to carry the company for a year or a year and a half pending getting sanctioned and hopefully getting back on pay-per-view. Signed the contract, got about a week into it, was getting some information from them, the due diligence I needed to get, put up the 200 grand. Um, it was you know guaranteed by ticket sales and they had money coming from a UFC Japan show they had done that was you know also assigned over to me in case the deal didn't go through. And after a week, he just went silent. He stopped sending me my stuff, stopped communicating, disappeared. Ghosted, ghosted you. Ghosted me. And it turns out because he got a better offer from the Zufa guys. Wow. So when I heard about what happened through some back channels, I called him up. I was like, hey, dude, I left a message. I don't care if you sell to these guys. These guys got deeper pockets than I do. They've got way better connections in Nevada than I do. These guys will do a thousand times better job of running this company and I will. I don't even really care to own it. I just didn't want, I didn't want the company to go out of business. I wanted a place for my guys to fight. Um, give my 200 grand back. Ghosted me. Had to sue him. Wow. Um, is this, a, but, uh, is this a, a regret? Like, do you wish that you had owned UFC? Uh, these guys, who knows what I would. I would have probably kept it on the same type of schedule, a few shows a year, just try to get a television break. There's no way I would have done a job like these guys did. Yeah. They went so far 
in, in, into the red running that company. They were bleeding money right and left and they just kept fighting and they did. I mean, nobody's going to do the job that Dana did and what they did. So not a regret at all in that regard, you know, and if you ask me right now, would I rather have owned the UFC assuming by miracle, I did a great job of it and it became a multi-billion dollar company. Would I rather own the, uh, the UFC or would I rather own American top team? I'd rather own my team. Mm. I mean, I, I got, we got a hundred fighters on it every weekend. I've got a home game or two or three or four or five. And, you know, I'm watching these fights with a huge vested interest. These are my guys and we're with them every day. And I feel like I'm part of, you know, all these fights. Whereas, you know, the UFC, they all love the business and they love the fights, but they're just hoping for good fights. And they're hoping that the right guy wins, that they can promote. And they're dealing with all that bullshit. I'd rather be part of a team than part of a big company yeah. like that. So no, zero regrets. I think that story solidifies that you are, in fact, the most interesting man in the world. Come on. I've really enjoyed this. I feel like we could talk for four hours. If it's about wrestling or MMA, I can talk forever. We'll have to do a round two at the gym. Cool. Anytime. Next time I'm in Florida. But I end every conversation with the same question because I'm all about gratitude. And I say out loud three things I'm grateful for when I wake up in the morning. And before I go to bed, what are three things that you're grateful for right now, Dan? Um, <clears throat> I'm most grateful as I sit here today for the fact that mixed martial arts has become such a mainstream crazy sport that so many people are interested in so many people can make a living on. I mean, I think back to the mid nineties where, you know, if we were training and doing our stuff and you, you know, you got busted open and someone would ask you, Hey, what happened to your eye? You know, why, why did you have surgery on your ear? You know, um, what, what happened? And you try to explain, they'd look at you like with that Tucker Carlson cocked head. Like when he hears a, a liberal say something that makes no sense. Um, they'd be like, what the hell is that? It gets to the point where I would just say, oh, I bumped into a door or I fell down or something because, you know, people didn't care about it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for what the UFC has done to make this sport mainstream so that so many people can make a living. You know, it's just, that's, that's first and foremost. I've had such a, a great seat on such a cool ride. Yeah. So that's, that's super cool. Um, and I'm so grateful that Malki Kawa, George Masvidal's manager, called me and said, hey, you want to come meet Tony Khan? Because that, <laughs> that was like the second coolest uh, thing you could possibly ever do. Other than that, I'm just uh, I'm grateful that I'm at a point in my life where all my businesses have wound down. You know, my dad told me when I was younger, he said, you spend the first two-thirds of your life acquiring as much shit as you can and the last third trying to get rid of it. Mm. You know, it's like start halfway. So when I hit 45, I'm like, man, I am getting rid of everything I have. I'm going to get rid of my companies. I'm going to free up my time so that I can just do stuff I like for, you know, hopefully the next 30 years or so. And I got to that stage because for so long, you know, American Top Team, which is something that I really love. It's what I, I really love doing. I, I, I like being at the gym. I like being around the guys. I like going to the fights. Um, just like being part of a team, but it was kind of, in absentia, you know, I would, any second I had free, I'm training, you know, either at the gym or having guys over my house to train. I wasn't really getting involved in a lot of the daily day, day-to-day stuff because I had a company to run. Yeah. And at one point I had like 3000 employees and, you know, the big business to run. Um, so it takes a lot of your time and it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of attention. You're, you're always on call. And, you know, once I was able to get rid of all that, to be able to step back and just kind of enjoy the process now. It's just a, it's a pretty good part of life. Yeah. You're in a great place right now. Ah, good spot. Yeah. Wish I didn't hurt as much as I hurt. 
but I wouldn't trade. And people's like, oh, God, I wish I was 18 years old. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to be 30 again with four kids under the age of six all grabbing at my leg, bothering me every minute of the day. I'm not that they stop bothering you when they're older, just different problems. But it's, uh, I wouldn't change positions where I am in life now with anything. I, yeah. It's a good spot to be in. It's just, wish the clock would slow down yeah. a little bit, you know? This has been great. Dan, thank you so much. My pleasure. A lot of fun. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.